When you decide that you're going to become a death doula, that you're going to willingly step into a space inhabited by people's greatest pain, you're met with a variety of reactions. Some will say what a worthy undertaking you're aspiring to. Some will become so uncomfortable they will do anything to remove themselves from the conversation. Some will be supportive and understand why you feel compelled to help people through death. They really, really will. I've seen them all over and over. There's one person in my life who reacted unlike everyone else. Kelly. This is Death Becomes Her, and I'm your host, Layla Kelly. When I told Kelly what I wanted to do, she was all in. She had a unique perspective. She was no stranger to grief. Loss had played a large role in her life from an early age, and it took center stage nine and a half years ago when Naya, her 10-year-old daughter, died in an accident. The months that followed Naya's death were dark. The pain that descended on their household was suffocating. Those were the months when Kelly and I bonded. Walking with her through her grief was difficult and painful. She and her husband and her son taught me things that I didn't yet understand about myself. They showed me that I could sit still with people's pain. I didn't realize that that was a special ability. They also taught me that we could collectively carry the pain and move forward together, that none of us have to navigate this mess alone. And that's what we did. The pain never left. It changed, but it never left. We carried it with us and we moved forward together. Kelly and I became great friends. Our husbands enjoy each other's company and our sons have become best buddies. We've traveled together. We've baked. We've seen plays. We even did a three-day, 200-mile bike ride adventure. Through all the time spent, we have had countless conversations about death, and loss, and grief. So when I told her that I was going to become a death doula, she was all in. As I studied to become a death doula, a variety of new angles were presented, and Kelly and I discussed them all. There was no death topic that was off limits. We had talked about the challenges of watching Naya's friends reach different milestones, becoming a teenager, getting a driver's license, graduation, moving out, We talked things that she had no experience with, like the idea of doing after-death care for a loved one. Her perspective was always unique, and she felt that mine was as well, which is why she encouraged me to start a podcast. I had done a few guest spots on a podcast called Sing With Your Feet, but I had no intention whatsoever of starting my own. I was quite sure that a podcast was just far above my pay grade. But Kelly was insistent, and she was sure that I could do it, and that I also should do it. And so, with her undying support, here I am in season two of my modest little podcast, Death Becomes Her. If you've been listening a while, you know Kelly. She was featured in season one on an episode called Collateral Damage, She openly and beautifully explained some of the struggles that she's had while navigating her grief. 
And if you've been a listener, you also know that the most recent episode of Death Becomes Her was about the Golden Gate Bridge and the long history of suicide associated with the landmark. I had wanted to talk about suicide a bit after overhearing a man in a waiting room mention how difficult he finds the holiday season. And I ended up choosing the historical angle of the Golden Gate Bridge because though I wanted to address the topic of suicide, it's not something that I felt I had great personal experience to draw from. But that has all changed. That's why I'm telling you about Kelly. Not only is she the reason I do this podcast, not only does she completely get me in all of my deathiness, not only does she encourage me and support me like no one else, she's also become the elephant in my room. On December 14th, Kelly died. She died by suicide, and she plunged me into a world that I had blissfully known nothing about. I do know grief. I've lost people that are dear to me, but I haven't lost a close friend, someone my age or younger even. I haven't had someone ripped away by suicide, and I now find myself floating in uncharted waters. Moving forward, especially with Death Becomes Her, seems like such a challenge, and I won't be able to keep doing the podcast if I don't first tell you about saying goodbye to Kelly. Because for me, the podcast and Kelly are linked, so that is why I'm here today. I am here to indulge in my own loss and my own grief and to attempt to process some of the events and emotions that I am trying to make sense of. I don't think that there's going to be some big lesson in this episode. I think it's just my story. Kelly believed that our stories are powerful and that they need to be heard. And that the power of our stories can rip us apart if we don't give them an outlet. So this is my story. I'm not really sure where I should start. Um, learning about what had happened, the disbelief and the confusion, it's all just really blurry. And the confusion and inability to understand weighed heavily on me. But what I did realize, and I realized it quite quickly, was that for my own grief, it was really important to me that I would be able to spend time with Kelly again. And I felt like ideally, I wanted to be able to handle her after death care in preparation for her final disposition. I, I couldn't imagine somebody else taking care of her. That just seemed really wrong to me. But it wasn't a decision for me to make. Those kind of choices, those belong to family. And in this case, her husband. And I am so grateful that he also felt like that would be the right thing for Kelly um, and that that is what Kelly would have wanted as well. So even with his blessing, all the same, the idea of caring for her was a lot. And I'll take, I'll take a minute to explain some of the things that I wasn't sure about. Uh, when I work with home funeral families, I work with them prior to a death occurring. So we have a plan in place, and most likely their person will die at home under hospice care. The family will care for their loved one shortly after death, like within a couple hours. 
But none of these things would be the case for Kelly and me. The circumstances surrounding Kelly's death meant that there was a certain amount of bureaucracy and protocols that would have to be addressed before we would be able to be with her. And it felt like there was just a lot of potential for challenges that may interfere with what I had hoped to be able to do for my girl. And then here's the other thing that had stressed me out. So I am a home funeral guide. I am trained in techniques that I can teach to people, to those who plan to care for their loved ones. And I guide them through the process. I don't actually do the care. The whole point is that people have the time and the space to care for their own. If I did it for them, that would defeat the purpose. So while I am extremely confident that I know exactly what needs to be done, I had never actually done it before because none of my close people had died. So I had not done this. And there is a world of difference between guiding people through the death of someone that you've been working with and that you've grown to care about and the death of a close friend that you are bonded with. Huge difference there. Fortunately, my first bunch of concerns, they were, they were easily calmed. We, we had this great funeral home that we worked with and they were extremely accommodating and they, they just didn't even bat an eye at any of my requests. So one week after her passing, um, I was finally able to be with her. And I realized that in our modern culture, this may sound like a very foreign idea, this idea that family or friends would perform death care. Um, but it wasn't all that long ago that this was just simply the way things were done. Death used to be handled by an individual's community. It wasn't something that was hired out to a third party. And for me, even though the staff at the funeral home was wonderful to work with, they don't know her. They don't know what she likes. They don't know what kind of things make her self-conscious. They just don't know her. And I felt so strongly that if this is the last time anyone is going to take care of her, it shouldn't be a stranger. It should be somebody who loves her and knows her. Someone who appreciates her style and her preferences. So in my thinking, there can be no greater honor than taking care of someone you love for the last time. And I think it's a privilege and it was a privilege that Kelly's family gave me. And, and I view it just as an absolute gift. I'm not going to go into the details of my time with Kelly. Uh, that was our time and I'm going to keep it that way. But in the end, I spent hours with her, um, dressing her in an outfit that she would have worn on any random day. Um, of just a tiny bit of makeup, a little perfume, this beautiful orchid lay that her sister sent from Hawaii, and a tube of Carmex tucked in her pocket as a nod to an inside joke that she shared with one of her best friends. It was an emotionally and physically demanding process. Um, at times I was laughing, sometimes crying, sometimes a mix of both. It was somehow wonderful and it was awful all at the same time, but it wasn't a burden. It didn't feel like I was going to break down or that being with her was too much. 
Um, instead, it just, it gave me a sense of peace and this kind of joy. And it was terribly exhausting. It did drain me in a way that I have never been drained before. And at the end, when I had done every last thing that I could do to prolong our time together, I had, I had to leave her behind. I had to let go of her hand and walk away knowing that it was for the last time. And without a doubt, that was the hardest part. But that's the way it had to be. That was our goodbye. A few days ago, we held a memorial service so that we could say goodbye as a community and nearly 700 people attended. It was beautiful and it reflected her really well. And it gave her people an opportunity to come together in grief, which after all, that is the whole point of a memorial service. So that part was quite good. And now I'm looking back over the last three weeks and there is a lot to process. I feel like suicide leaves so much confusion in its wake. It opens up these rabbit holes that could just swallow you whole. And I am trying to steer clear of those traps. I feel like what ifs and stewing over what could have been is just destructive. And I'm trying to take care of myself, not destroy myself. So I can't allow myself to focus on the things that I can't change. I have reached an understanding of sorts that for the moment is giving me comfort. Um, I've been thinking about it um, in line with my clients. The people that I work with, they frequently have some form of cancer. They've received a diagnosis. Um, then they did radiation, chemo, maybe surgery. But for some, no matter the intervention their disease will kill them. And we accept that. We understand that no matter how much we love them and support them, we can't cure their cancer and they will eventually die from their illness. Kelly didn't have cancer, but she did have a very real illness. Her illness wasn't palpable. It wasn't physical. It was emotional. But like my clients, she too had sought various treatments. In addition, she lived a healthy lifestyle. She spent time in nature. She focused on loving and caring for others. She did all the things, but she still couldn't vanquish her illness. And there's no amount of love or support from those of us around her that could cure her pain. And I think the hard part that makes it so different is the element of surprise. Cancer has a trajectory that we can see and we can wrap our minds around it, but emotional illnesses can be so much sneakier and they can stun us with how stealthy they are. And I certainly feel stunned, but I am grateful to have come to some sort of a satisfactory understanding. I don't like it. Actually, I hate it, but I'm thankful that guilt is one rabbit hole that I've been able to avoid. I don't find myself thinking if only I had done more or listened more closely, I could have saved her. I knew her well enough to know that behind the sparkling eyes and the big smile, pain lurked. I love her and I miss her, but I'm also thankful that her pain is gone. 
and I wish that our story had ended differently. But for now, I just have to be content knowing that she'll never hurt again. I do feel like I'm going to have to work forever to reconcile both sides of that equation. I was looking through her Pinterest and I found a poem that she had penned. I feel like it describes what I know to be true about Kelly. It's called See You Later by Uli K. I have learned a few things about grief. It is not a temporary feeling, but rather an eternal one with many changing seasons. Grief hurts in places that are hard to point to because the pain in your heart overflows into every other crevice that exists inside of your body. Sometimes grief longs to be held and pushes you away at the same time. It runs for both freedom and shelter. It wants to heal, but without letting go. Grief lands upon your chest whenever and however and wherever it chooses. It is not bound by space or time or distance, and I can guarantee you that it will always find a way to come to the surface. Grief lays its weary head down and waits for rain, for sun, for wild winds, for peace. Oh, precious, precious peace. Grief reminds us that death is not a goodbye, but the longest and hardest. See you later. Thank you for listening to my story today. As always, you can reach out to me at www.leavingwellmt.com. You can also find me on Instagram at leavingwelldeathdoula. And as always, I want to end with my tagline, which is something that Kelly loved oh so much. Talking about death won't kill you. I promise.